Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. To learn more about the church, feel free to drop by fredericksdachurch.org. What is it you want in life? What is your will? Well, as Robert Quintana will tell you, throw it away. Forget about what you want. He leads us through the book of John, chapter 4, verse 34, and shares principles on how you can know the will of God. Um, for most of you, most of you know that I, we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled Decisions, Decisions. We're trying to figure out how to know God's will in our lives. And uh, the first two parts of this sermon series, um, I have to admit to you, I, I have a problem with um, because they're kind of concepts. And sometimes when pastors get up and they preach about concepts, it's a little hard to wrap our minds around those concepts. And the question always is, okay, that sounds great. I understand that's what I need to do. I understand that that, that needs to happen in my life. But how can I apply it? What are some practical things that I can do to apply those things? And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start looking at some very practical ways that we can apply to our lives so that we can discover God's will for our lives so that we can make the right decisions in life. If you remember part one, the concept was that if we want to make right decisions, if we want to allow God's will to be fulfilled in our lives, we have to set our eyes on Christ. We have to head in his direction. We have to, uh, that needs to be our number one goal is to head towards God, the direction of God. Now you see how that's kind of a concept, it's kind of like, well, okay, how do you do that? All right, and then part two, last week, I talked about how if we want to know God's will, you have to know God. If you want to know God's will, bottom line, you have to know God. So you have to do whatever it takes in your life to get to know God. But see there again, a concept. How do I apply that? Well, today we're going to start applying these two concepts, these two principles into our lives. And they told me in preaching class never to say what I'm about to say. (laughs) And that is that there are eight points Now, you see why they told me in preaching class never to say that? Because your attitude, your response to that was, oh my goodness, eight points. And we'll be on point three and you'll be like, there's five more points to go. Will he just sit down and let us go? So understanding that, I am not going to try and make it through all eight points today. Amen? (laughs) All right, we're going to walk through and we're just going to allow the Spirit of God to lead. And if we get to point two, if we get to point three, then great. And then next week will be part three B. Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to start looking at practical ways that we can know, that we can apply to our lives so that we can know what the will of God is is in our lives. And here is the first way. I want you to think of your will. I want you to think of your will, like what you desire, 
like what you want. I want you to think of that. Do you have it? And now I want you to throw it out the window. I want you to kick it out of the door. I want you to flush it, hit it out of the ballpark, throw it in the dispenser. I want you to completely forget about what you want. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. John chapter 4, verse 34 These letters are in red, which means Jesus spoke these words. He said, Jesus said to them, my food is to do what? The will of my parents. (laughs) My will, what does it say? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The first thing that we need to understand if we are to understand the will of God is that our number one priority needs to be his will, not our will. Our will needs to go out the window. We need to forget about our own will. We need to forget about that and we need to be open to God's will, whatever that will might be. You see, because it isn't until you get rid of your will that you will truly be open to understand and accept God's will for your own life. George Mueller, an evangelist, early 1800s, a very... A popular guy. If you Google him, you'll find a lot of stuff on him. But this is what he says. He says in, in, in this context, in, in trying to find God's will, this is what he says. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. He goes on to say, nine-tenths Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcoming when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will. Whatever it may be, when one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. For us to understand God's will fully in our lives... The first thing that we must do is eliminate our will from our own lives. And what that simply means is that you're saying, God, I am here. I am all yours. I die to self. I sacrifice myself to you. And so here I am with no agenda, no hidden agenda. It is just me and you now. Now that I am in this state, what is it that you want me to do? Is it option A? Is it option B? Is it option C? What is it? Because I have no hidden agenda. And whatever your will is for my life, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter. 
And if you read through the New Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll read stories of men and women who did just this. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 16, you'll read how the apostles set out to go to Asia. They made plans to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit appears to them and says, wait, wait, wait. I don't want you to go to Asia. No, 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 no. I need you to go to Macedonia. Now, how did the apostles respond to that? Oh, no, no, no. Wait a second, God. We've already made plans. We've already bought tickets. No, no. We are going to Asia. Uh Uh-uh. The disciples, the apostles were in a state. They had trained themselves. They had sacrificed themselves enough that they were in a place in their life that at any given moment, God can tell them what to do or where to go, and they were responsive. They were there. Okay, God, if you want us to go to Macedonia, that's where we're going to go. No problem. We're there. You see that in the life of Paul. Paul says, hey, my life is in your hands. I don't care if I'm poor, if I'm rich, if I'm in prison, or if I'm free. I don't care if I have food or if I go hungry. It doesn't matter to me. I have no agenda. I have no will here. Whatever you want, God, that's what I'll do. And that's exactly what we see with Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ says, the food that I eat the thing that, that, that gets me excited, the thing that gets me going is to do your will. But sometimes our will gets in the way. And sometimes our own will manipulates what we, or we, we try and maneuver our will to make God do what we want. I read a story uh, about a, a man who was struggling with his weight, and he wanted to lose weight desperately. And so he got up one morning and he said, all right, all right, this is it. This is it. Today is, I, I, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to start my diet today. I, I'm losing it right, right here, starting right now. But you see, this man's weakness was Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> yeah, when that little light is flashing... They're pretty hard to resist, aren't they? I mean, those things just melt in your mouth. Well, anyway, he, he woke up and he said, no more. The diet starts today. And then he got to thinking, but wait a second. And then he says, all right, here's the deal. If I pass by the Krispy Kreme donut facility establishment and there is a parking space at the front door, I will take that as a sign that it's God's will for me to eat donuts today. So he gets in his car, he's all excited, he's driving down the street, and he passes the Krispy Kreme donut place, and there's no parking anywhere. I mean, the, the lot is just packed. In the first street, he takes a right, and then another right, and then another right. And now he's going by the street again, the, the Krispy Kreme, no parking. And he does this several times, and on the fifth try, there's a parking space, And he says, "Uh aha, it's God's will that I eat donuts today. You see, we need to find ourselves in a place where our will isn't going to affect. Where we find ourselves and we say, God, I, I surrender my all in all to you. I am here, whatever it is that you want, I am here for you. 
I have sacrificed to self. I have no hidden agenda. What's your will for my life? Now, I need to say this. Because this doesn't mean that we don't have preferences in life. This doesn't mean that we don't have desires in life. Because you know the Bible says, come before God and share with God the desires of your heart. That that doesn't mean that that all of a sudden we're void of a personality or void of, of a character, void of goals in our lives. No, no, that's not what that means. What it means is, is that your number one goal in life now becomes to do the will of God, whatever that is. And we see Jesus, we see Jesus playing this out in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prays to God and he shares with God his desire. He shares with God his preference. And he says, God, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. But what does he say? Not my will. Not my will. Your will be done. You see, because in his life, the number one thing was to do the will of God. And in order to do the will of God, you have to find yourself in a place in life where it says, I don't have a hidden agenda. I have sacrificed to self. And so wherever you lead, whatever you decide for me, whatever, whatever option, whatever closed doors and open doors are set before me, that is where I will go. That is where I will follow. There's an interesting story found in the book of Numbers, and I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers. Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. And we don't have time this morning to read the entire story. So I'm going to be kind of giving you a synopsis here and there, and there's a few verses that we will read together. Numbers chapter 22. Here we have a prophet of God By the name of Balaam. Now, a little bit of history here. Israel had just recently come out of Egypt. And now they are being taken to the promised land. In this process, they settle next to Moab. And Moab looks at the people of Israel and says, "Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Because we've been hearing what's been going on wherever the people of Israel go. And I'm not so sure that we want the people of Israel this close to us. And so the king of Moab, Balak, contacts the prophet Balaam and says, Come over to me. I will give you all the riches. I will give you all the gold and all the silver. I will give you honor. Come over to us. And all we need you to do, Balaam, is curse the people of Israel. Curse them so that they can prosper. Curse them so that we can conquer them. Curse them so that they don't overtake us. All right? So do you get the picture of what's going on? Balak, the king of Moab, is calling the prophet of God over to his side, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you all of this stuff, and all you need to do is curse the people of Israel for us. And so, in verse 8, it says this, and he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back, this is Balaam speaking, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me, so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. 
And so Balaam hears Balak and says, all right, I'll consider it. I'll think about it. Now, come on. Really? Do you really think that God is going to allow Balaam to put a curse on Israel? Really? Could there be a hidden agenda here? Could Balaam be seeking something else besides God's will? Like maybe all that gold and all that silver and all the riches and honors that was kind of placed right before his very eyes. Nonetheless, he says, all right, Balak, I've heard you. I've listened. Just stay here and let me go to God and let me see what God has to say. Well, we know what's coming. Verse 9, then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak. The son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me saying, look, a people came out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. There's no way, Balaam. What are you thinking? Of course, that's not my will. Balaam wakes up the next day, scratches his head, goes over to the king of Balak and says, "Uh -uh. sorry, no can do. God told me, can't curse. I can't curse the people of Israel. Balak's like, come on, you have to. Come on, I'll give you more. Two times, three times, whatever it takes for you to do this. Come on, let's do it. And so we find, if you just read this on your own, you'll find how Balaam says, all right, that sounds super appealing. So let me go before God again. All right. Well, what do you think? Do you think God all of a sudden changed his mind, his will? Well, let's read on here. It says here in verse uh, 20, the second time around. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, all right, if the man come to call you, Rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. So in this second appointment, God says to Balaam, all right, Balaam, you're asking me if it's my will to curse the people. All right, this is what you need to do. If they ask you to come with it to, for you to follow them, to like go back home with them, to back to Moab, then that is a sign that you are to curse the people. All right? So do you get the scenario? Well, guess what? Balaam woke up in the morning and everyone was gone. Balak, the king, and all his servants were gone. Why? Because they knew that God wasn't going to change his mind. And this is what Balaam does in verse 21. So Balaam rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Without having even heard from the people of Moab, he gets up. The people are gone. Oh, my goodness. What's going on here? His will is getting in the way. His will is getting in the way of the will of God. He has his eyes set on the treasure, on the gold. On the silver. And here Balaam, this is so interesting. Here Balaam is trying to maneuver 
somehow, some way, trying to maneuver things so that he can get both things accomplished. Not only the will of God, but his own will. And folks, we do that in our own lives so many times. We, we try and maneuver. You know, we try, we, we, we try and, 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 and parse the Bible, like, like really like define it. Like, well, I don't know that that's really what it's saying. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, come on, God, really? A tenth? I mean, there, there's no way, you know? So, you know, let me go to church and, and let me do this over here. But on the other things that you're really asking me to do, you know, I, I'm going to kind of justify those things away for now. And we're trying to somehow get our own will in with God's will. And God says, no, if you want to know my will, you need to get rid of yours. You need to just throw it out the window and say, God, I am here. I am all yours. You need to sacrifice self and say, whatever comes my way, wherever you call me to go, Whatever you call me to do, I will listen and I will obey. Because my number one goal is to do your will. And this plays out in our lives in so many different ways. He may call us to ask for forgiveness. He might ask, call us to extend forgiveness. He may call us to shut down a business on Sabbath. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. He may call us to extend ourselves to a neighbor or to reach out to someone. I mean, it just goes on and on and on as we see God's will clearly laid out in his word for us. And yet our will gets in the way. And then we play these games. God, I want your I want to know your will. And God's like, my will's here. Just get rid of your will so that you can see my will. The first way of understanding God's will in your life is that you must surrender your will. And when you do that, as George Mueller says, you are one-tenth of the way there. You are inches away from knowing God's will for your life. The story is a very interesting story, and I would beg of you to read on this afternoon because he goes on to build a relationship with with the king, Abelic, and he goes on, and and it's just amazing what happens in this story. And I I can't, unfortunately, it doesn't end well for Balaam because instead of surrendering his will, he kept his will, and and he, he held on to it, and eventually it led to his death. But the first way that we understand the will of God is that we must get rid of ours. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't come before God with our preferences, with our desires. That doesn't mean that we don't share with him our joys and our our sadness. That doesn't mean that we share with him and say, God, you know, I, I want this in my life. But at the end of the day, at the end of that prayer, at the end of that journaling, you say, not my will but your will be done. When you do that, and this now leads us to the second way that we know God's will. When you do that, the word of God will take a whole other 
it, it will go to a whole other level in your life. When you find yourself in a place where you say, not my will, but your will be done, the study of the word of God will go to a whole other level. I'm telling you, it'll be leagues beyond and above where you are right now. Because for the first time, perhaps for the first time, you are now reading the word of God with no hidden agenda. With no, with no will to impose on God. And now when you read the word of God and the word of God says this, all of a sudden you're like, okay, if this is what you want me to do, then this is what I'm going to do. Regardless, I'm tired of thinking of the consequences. I'm tired of thinking of how this is all going to turn out. Nope. If this is what you've asked me to do, and my number one goal in life is to do your will, then God, here we go. I'm going to Macedonia. I'm going to Nineveh. I'm going to do whatever it is that you call me to do. This is what you're calling me to do. I'm, I'm seeing it right here in, in your word. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Psalms 119, verse 105. And I believe that Amy Grant, some time ago, sang a song based on this very verse. Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Folks, that can only come true that can only be true, that can only play out in your life if you are approaching the word of God saying, I'm dead to self. I have no hidden agenda. So guide me, lead me. What is it that you want? And here the word of God says that it acts as a light. It illuminates the path before you. It tells you the things that you ought to do, the things that you need to do. Whether or not it makes sense, whether or not it agrees with society, no, no, no. This is the word of God and this is what it's telling me to do. Therefore, I will step out in faith and I will carry out your will in my life. I'd like for you to turn to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews Chapter 4, listen to what the Word says about the Word. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful. All right, just chew on that for a second. All right, because we look at the Bible and we think, oh, yeah, a bunch of neat little rules, you know, very, you know, it's little historical, accurate, historical, biblical, you know, uh, tidbits, you know. Uh, we, yeah, cute and all. No, no, wait a second. Hebrews 4 verse 12. The word of God is living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. Now listen to this, okay? And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of 
the heart. Now, do you remember the one text that tells us we are at a huge disadvantage? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You remember that from last week? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And now here in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, okay, your heart is deceitful. Guess what? I have the living word of God. The word of God is living and powerful. It is a two-edged sword. And then it goes on to say, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, when you approach this word of God with no hidden agenda, when you approach this word of God with the attitude that says, okay, God, what is your will for my life? All of a sudden, what, what, what you thought you wanted now is in contrast to God's true will or it will validate that what you're asking for is along with God's will because the word of God will do that the word of God will transform you the word of God will change you the word of God will allow you to recognize and understand the will of God for your life Now, that's a lot. And it's not something that I expect or anyone expects for you to know overnight. It's something that you just simply, daily, you go to the word of God and you grow little by little in his word. No one's asking you to to memorize or or, or to know the, you know, front and back, you know, next week. No, no, no. It takes time. There's a lot on here, in here. But you, believe you me, that the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And he will convict you of the things in your life that need changing, that need to be changed. And I don't get caught up with translations. I don't want to get caught up with what translation is better than this or that or this one's more accurate than that. Listen, just read the Bible. Just read a Bible, all right? Just read something. It's going to be better than not reading anything at all. Do you see what I'm saying? And as your relationship develops with him and as you become to be a little bit more spiritually minded and you start to grasp and you start to connect this story with this story and this principle with this principle, then you can move on to more quote-unquote, sophisticated tools in studying the Bible. But you need to find the Word of God in your life. Find a translation that you like, one that, that reads well. If you're a visual person, find one that has pictures. I mean, you know, if you're 45 years old and you like pictures, get a kid's Bible. I don't care. Just get into the Word of God. Find something that has notes, cross-references, maps, no, I'm, you know, like study notes. Just find something that you can say, you know what, I like this Bible and I'm going to spend time in this Bible and I'm going to read the Word of God because the Word of God is going to change me and the Word of God is going to allow me to recognize God's will for my life. The third way that we understand 
God's will for our lives. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. See, aren't you glad we're not doing all eight today? <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I can sense moods, you know. And I know that even going into this third one, I'm kind of pushing it already. <laughs> Psalms chapter one, verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. All right? So the third way that we understand the will of God is for us to surround ourselves with godly people, all right? The Bible does this a lot, and I, you know, when I was in summer camp, they gave me a trophy that said most optimistic. So, you know, I struggle sometimes when I read through Scripture because, you know, it puts things like in the negative. So let's just turn this into the positive, okay? It says, blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the godly, okay? Which means we need to surround ourselves with godly people. Now listen, especially anyone who is under the age of 21, I want my young people to listen, all right? The friends that you hang out with will affect, will um, change, can direct your life. When I was in high school, freshman, sophomore, I was a village student. And uh, um, I had a couple of hours to kill um, from when school got out to when I had to go to work. Not that I had to study. I never had any homework. <sighs> Duh, you know, if you take those two hours to, to study instead of going to the rec room, which I did. All right. But e- every day I would go to the rec room. All right. After school, I had two hours to kill. And I would go to the rec room and uh, I would play pool, foosball, you know, lift a few weights. Not- not that that made any difference in the world, but anyways, uh, and I, you know, I'd hung out with the guys there. Well, the, the truth is, looking back, is that the guys that were in that rec room really weren't the best guys to hang out with, you know? And, you know, soon I found myself wanting to dress like them, um, walk like them. Pretty soon I found myself talking like them, and believe it or not, I developed a pretty foul mouth. Yep, I'm admitting to you, yeah. I mean, if I missed a shot on the pool table, off went the F-bomb. Like, and it was just like, now, I wasn't like that at home, you know. I knew that there was like, you know, there were boundaries, all right. But, but it was at the rec room, it was unbelievable, and, and it got to the point where it was just rolling off my tongue like nothing. Until one day, I got mad at my sister. And I was at home. And man, I got so mad at her. And I said, you called her the B word. That was the first time in my life that I realized 
how hurtful words can be. I just devastated her. I mean, she was crying. I, I didn't mean it. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean it. And that was the first time in my life that I thought to myself, this needs to change. And I realized that I can no longer be in that environment. My dad had a saying in Spanish that said, went like this. Dime con quien andas y te diré, te, te diré quien eres. Which simply translated means, tell me who you're with and I'll tell you who you are. And I remember thinking, I, I need to change my circle. This isn't good. And whether or not we like to admit it or not. Because I, I could have fallen flat on my face saying to all of you, <laughs> they're not affecting me. I'm my own person. I'm independent. No, no that doesn't affect me. I'm dressed like this because I want to be dressed like this. I talk like this because I want to talk like this. But no, you, you know what the interesting thing is about human nature? Is that there is, there is something within us that wants to belong. There's something deep within us that wants to be accepted. And so whatever crowd we're with, guess what? We're going to seek for that acceptance. We're going to seek for that, that belonging. And that is why the Bible counsels us to seek counsel or surround yourself with godly people. Seek counsel from godly people. Now, listen, there is a balance in Scripture that we all need to find because the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. But see, his approach was a little different, wasn't it? He wasn't friends of sinners because he had something to prove. He, he, he wasn't friend of sinners because he needed to be accepted. No, no, he was friends of sinners because God said to him, they need to know about my love. And so, yeah, if that's the attitude that you take, if that's the attitude that you take within and say, you know what, I, I'm not afraid to, to open the door to a stranger. I'm not afraid to, to, to start talking to my neighbor. I, I'm not afraid to, to, to hang out with someone because I know that God needs to reach them and God's going to use me to reach them. And if somebody out there says, oh my goodness, did you see where he was at? Did you see where she was at? Did you, did you know that he's friends with so-and-so and so-and-so? Listen, when you know that you're doing what God wants you to do, guess what? All of those criticisms fall by the wayside. I don't care. I, 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 don't, I really don't care what you think. God's called me to minister to them. But don't forget this third aspect, this third way of knowing God's will is that we need to surround ourselves with godly people. We need to seek counsel from godly people. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 12. First Kings chapter 12. The revolt against Rehoboam. There again, we don't have time to go through the whole story, but I encourage you to find some time this week. And, and here, let me just kind of set it up. Solomon has just passed away. And they've asked Rehoboam to take over his place, 
to take his throne, to, to, to be the king now of Israel, all right? And so Rehoboam takes the challenge and he says, all right, this is, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this. And so the people come to him and you can read it in verse four. And the people say, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. All right, so now Rehoboam is faced with one of his first major decisions. What do I do now that I'm king? The people are asking me to lighten their burden. What do I do? All right, so the next verse, verse six, then King Rehoboam consulted the who? Who? Young people, who? The elders. Why? Why do you think? I mean, wild guess, just throw it out there. They're wise. They've been there. They've done that. They've developed a relationship with God. And so he goes, consults with the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he was still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And now the elders advise him and say, you know, it's probably a good idea that you lighten the load. Lighten the load. All right. Does Rehoboam listen? Uh Uh-uh. Verse 8. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the... (laughs) The young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. All right. So now Rehoboam goes to the elders. He consults with them. Okay. He doesn't like what he hears. And now this comes full circle to... To step number one, that when you are seeking God's will, you cannot come with any hidden agenda. You have to come before God and say, okay, God, what is it that you want? What is it? How do you want me to decide here? Where do you want me to go here? The elders tell him, lighten the load. He goes, "Mm, man, what is that going to do to our finances? What is that going to do to our treasury? What, I don't know that that's a good idea. I mean, I'm just now entering into this and I'm not so sure that I want to. And so he then turns to the young men. And so the young men advise him the complete opposite. I mean, from one extreme to the other, now the young men say to him, listen, Rehoboam, you need to put your foot down. You need to tell these people who you are. They come to you asking for to lighten their load. Who do they think you are? You know what you should do? You should raise their yoke. You should make it heavier. Yeah, do that. Rehoboam's like, yeah, I like that. We'll just continue on building. We'll just continue on growing. We're going to tax them more. We're going to put a heavier burden on them. Who do they think they are? You know what happened? The divided kingdom. Twelve of the tribes say, "Uh uh-uh, we're out of here. And now for the first time, they are divided. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. That wasn't God's plan. God didn't want the people of Israel to be scattered and all separated. But that's what happened. 
He sought counsel. He didn't seek counsel from godly people. He didn't seek counsel from elders, from people who had been there, done that. Hey, listen, this is where I think you should go. You want to know the will of God in your life. The first thing you need to do is just say, God, I'm here. I surrender. I sacrifice self and I have no hidden agenda. Whatever it is that you want for me, that's what I'm going to do. You want to know the will of God in your life? You need to study the word of God. I mean, there's just no way around it. And you hear pastors say it time and time again. And we pastors, we, we try and think of cute, new, fresh ways of saying it. At the end of the day, it's the same message. You have to read the word of God. You want to know the will of God. You need to surround yourself with godly people. All right, now next week, part 3B, we're going to continue this series. Our Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much that you just haven't left us out here to wander and to try and make sense of all of this on our own. God, no, you have a plan for our lives. You have a perfect will that you want to share with us. And Lord, forgive us for turning our our. our our eyes from running away, from insisting on our own will. Um, God, we just thank you that you're still here pleading with us. And we're not going to look at the past. We're just not going to look forward. And God, give us all the strength to surrender ourselves to you. Because only then will we just be inches away of knowing what it is that you really want for our lives. God, give us the courage to read your word every day. To incorporate it into our lives. God, give us the strength to surround ourselves with godly people. God, we pray that you help us this week recall these things so that we can continue to put them into practice into our own lives. God, this is our prayer, and we ask you these things in the name of Jesus Christ. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can feel free to learn more about us at frederick.sdachurch.org. And for more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.